This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of a podcast network. Chris, I don't don't have the memo yet about what we're calling this. Paramount so, is definitely in the uh, the in house like corporate internet that I have. It's all Paramount now, but I've not gotten the memo about how to name our podcast here, our podcast network. So we're just going to call it a podcast network for the time being. Uh, you're Chris Anderson. Welcome in Q and A today on a Tuesday morning. Running the gamut here because I think the the attention has shifted from basketball finally toward football eventually by the way baseball may be good um and that's that first day of march spring right around the corner people are trying to figure out how to fill their gaps in their mountaineer loyalties and i don't know it's a, a thin time of basketball football's been better but there's some excitement and can people really wrap their brains around a baseball team here in the spring what do you think uh, i think at this point everybody's grasping for something to cheer for so yeah if the baseball team is good fans will We'll follow for sure. Home opener, three o'clock today. I think it's the earliest they played a home game. I have to look. I think it's the earliest they played a home game. Um, it looks like the weather will cooperate, and a bunch of their games are going to be on ESPN Plus now too. So if you have that for football or basketball purposes, and you cancel it when baseball season comes along, maybe think twice. We've been over this a little bit before. Kind of a fun team to watch. Exciting, not like a baseball team that you would see, um, provided that the the major clubs actually do play, where they all try to just get on base and hit home runs. Try to get on base and steal bases and put pressure on the defense. Pretty fun to watch so far. Successful. Uh, a three and one weekend and then a two and one weekend and have been to both games they've lost. So nothing embarrassing about what Randy Macy's doing there. And certainly exactly what the doctor ordered because we can probably start uh, dressing in black for this basketball season here. Um, long shot NCAA tournament hopes. You kept sustaining them because of what ifs, like what if they won their final five games or what if they beat Kansas and got some some momentum in the NCAA tournament, all the or excuse me, the Big 12 tournament, all those scenarios kind of popped now and you have two regular season games left. First one tonight, seven o'clock at Oklahoma. The the note here is that West Virginia is winless in Big 12 road games here. This will be the second time in a couple of years they've done that if they do indeed lose tonight um, and really Oklahoma quietly played itself out of the NCAA tournament. And I'm really a spoiler there. And then a home game Saturday against TCU and then and then TBD after that. A, a strange, quiet time to a strange season here. I'm going to quote Bob Huggins from after the Texas game. We're not dead yet. We're close, but we're not dead yet. I, I think they're dead. Accurate. Accurate. They would probably... There's, I just don't know a scenario in which they can make it at large. Like they could beat Oklahoma, beat TCU, beat Kansas, beat two more teams, and get in the final and lose. I don't think that's enough. No team has made it as an at large of 16 losses ever. And what is so unique about West Virginia to be that first team? I don't see that. So really, their best chance is to win it out and get the automatic bid. 
and that's going to require <laughs> six wins in the next what 10 days i think is that right yeah, it's going to be tight yeah and they haven't won six games in a long 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 time so that'll be difficult and but you never know they 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 do come sometimes think of the uh improbable scenario and then they give it a whirl in kansas city and they've gotten far with minimal motivation before they've gotten far with all the motivation before it just never kicked down the door all the way um, could be it anything anybody you're looking for here toward the end of the season i wrote yesterday about isaiah cottrell showing signs people may agree or disagree you also have some people who may be auditioning for playing time or spots or hierarchy next year it's not without purpose completely I have given up on hope really on, you know, him completely turning things over to the young guys or really playing those young guys uh, like more Kobe Johnson, more Seth Wilson. I mean, I know Wilson's getting a few minutes, but we're not seeing him getting the monster minutes that I was kind of expecting it to trend towards as the season uh, kind of went, you know, trended downwards, if you will. But so what I'm paying close attention to in these final couple games is Jalen Bridges. Um he has all the talent in the world. I think he is a versatile defender, versatile offensive player when he wants to be. He can block shots. He can rebound. He can shoot. Uh, he can dribble. But you just have games where he disappears. And there's going to be a question on here in a moment about someone he reminds me of. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. And that's Emmett Matthews in the fact that there are some games. You remember my, my thing with Matthews was where's Spanish Emmett Matthews? Because Emmett, Senior Emmett Matthews was amazing. When they went to Spain, he was one of the best players. I thought he was going to be fantastic that year. And then he kind of just disappeared, was on and off. One day he's great, one day he's gone. One day he's great, gone. Not in the closing lineup, if you will. And, and I... I'm keeping an eye on Bridges because I I think he has the chance to be he has the chance to one day be the best player on a good West Virginia University basketball team. He also has the chance to check out, not do anything these last couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden you're going to start hearing transfer portal talk. So Ooh. I'm paying close attention. No, I haven't heard clear. I have not heard anything about him looking around, nothing like that, unhappy. I'm just saying it's he's the way he's going in and out of, of being a factor in a game has me paying close attention to how he finishes this season. Not sure what's happened to him lately. That's that's not a guy who seems like he has confidence issues. Everybody is prone to fits where things aren't working ideally and you just don't play as well. But he always seemed like you could rely on something in his bag to get him out of it or at least make him valuable on the court. So even in days where he wasn't scoring, he could rebound, he could guard, he could slash instead of shoot. But last two games, I think he's what, yeah, here we go. One for three, three points, three shots. Um, and then beyond that, I think he's taken one two-point shot, no free throws. He hasn't, he's taken one free throw the last four games. Um, that's regression, and that's not a promising there. But, yeah, that's a good one there. Um, encouraging Cottrell, discouraging Bridges. How can they pull it together? We'll see. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a good question there. And then, honestly, like Huggins said something that I'm sure kind of made people scratch their heads and maybe pull out their hair the other day, but talking about the freshmen and how he thinks they're going to be very good, he says that they probably would be better off playing some of the freshmen in some of the spots that are belonging to older players. But, 
and and then just stop for a second there. It's hard to have a butt attached to that, but I didn't think he can sacrifice those minutes for people who don't have experience and haven't really played at this level with the expectations of the pressure as they are. Uh, what the expectations are, I don't know what that really is right now. Uh, pressure, don't know what the pressure is right now. So the fact that he hasn't flipped that switch and hasn't put a Jamel King or a James Oconquo in there, never mind a Seth Wilson or a Kobe Johnson more, makes you think about you know what, what's going to happen these last two games. They're going to get in at all. Uh, how much will they play? But something to keep an eye on because if they do indeed, if they if they do this CBI thing again, or if they do get into the NIT, and I think that's less likely than the CBI, you're you're really you're making a case about playing an extra game at least, but committing the the resources and practice time and travel expenses and going to Daytona Beach for the CBI, presumably for the future, which was the hook. A couple of years ago, because Culver and Matthews and McBride, excuse me, McCabe were freshmen, and you're thinking, oh, okay, here's a good core. Let's see what we can do. One, two, played two games. That was supposed to be some sort of a boost. And then uh, that's the summer they went to Spain, correct? Right after that, yeah. Yeah. So you had some you had some continuity there. You thought that you were you were starting a lot earlier. Not really the same window here be, to look through here because you have so many seniors and players who might not be here. Definitely won't be here next year. And then, again, what are you going to see of an Oconquo, a King, a Wilson, a Kobe Johnson right now that would make you think that they're going to play a lot in a CBI? I don't know about that, too. So, um, I don't know. They have at least three more games left. I think they'll play in a postseason. I'm not sure which one. I think the CBI is more likely than the NIT based on the NIT's criteria for selection, which I was not aware of how, how like complicated and precise it was, but... There's a whole thing of a selection committee and, and rounds of secret balloting, and it kind of starts sooner than later. It's like really before Selection Sunday it gets underway, and, and that's kind of a negative for West Virginia because they're just not on teams' radar right now, and they got to get into a list of like the best available teams soon, and they're not there. So the NIT might be a tough one, and the CBI is not a free ride and not home games either. That was another thing that they can get some home games a couple of years ago. Nope. One site, 16 team event in Daytona Beach this year. So. The postseason may come, it may not come. It's definitely going to be different uh, this March than it has been in years past. Well, that's. it seems like we're leading right into the first question for the mailbag. Shall we get started? Let's do it. Okay. As I said, we can just continue on what's going here. We're, again, as always, we're going to answer a few questions here on the podcast. I will address the rest in written form. I'll actually do it later today so that we can get some of these, um, some of these questions and answers in before the basketball game tonight. So, at uh, We'll come back to the first part of Lighten's question in a second, but the second part is related to what we're discussing here. And he just kind of says, I'd like to hear both of you have a candid discussion about the state of the hoops program and how you feel about everything involved with it now and for the future. So my take from that is he's asking essentially, is this a one-off bad season? Is this is this a just a mistake, an oopsie? Or is this the start of a gentle or not so gentle decline in the program? given what we saw just a couple years ago as well with another bad season. Mike, what's your take? I'm concerned because of the timing of the head coach's career. I think it's a there's a transition coming here at some point. That's absolute, right? Right. And you just wonder about does, does a guy stay longer than maybe he intended to or he wants to or he needs to because the results – are are not what he wants and maybe not necessarily because of his achievements or his acumen. I think we can all agree that what's happening in college basketball is challenging a lot of coaches. What's happening in college sports is challenging a lot of coaches and it can outflank 
the experience and the acumen and the accomplishments of really, really good coaches. Has that happened here? I think there, there are signs of that. But at some point, Bob Huggins will say, send the press release, please. And that'll be it for him. Where's the program there? And then how long has it taken to, I would imagine, be in a spot where he feels it's time to go. It's okay to let it go. It's not happening now. It's absolutely not happening now. So it's got to get back up a bar. And how do you do that when you have these extracurricular forces or or these conflicting, you know, um, interests versus necessities? I want to do this, but I have to do this. That's going to take some time to negotiate and to reconcile. So I think there's an appropriate level of concern there if you're if you're watching this. I don't think that panic is the right word because I go back to again, this is a long time now, but their first year in the Big Twelve, they did not have a roster or even a plan of attack for how to play in the Big 12. They were really surprised by how agile uh, fours were and then what like a three and a four could do in the Big 12 as opposed to the Big East. You think of the Big East, and it was a lot of on the block, back to the basket, physical bruising basketball. Big 12 was much more open. The players were um, more nimble, more athletic from the front court in. It was a lighter league. It was less of that black and blue and more of like a silver and bronze kind of a thing where, where you just had really good athletes who were doing things that West Virginia was not yet prepared for. Fell apart, but Huggins put it together and just said, enough of this. Like, we don't have the way to play in the Big 12 by matching styles. And they, they tried different people like the Harrises and the Hendersons and, you know, different looks to try to match up and said, nope, not working, scratch it. And they just became a pressing team which went against the grain and that would go against the grain in every conference, but it worked. So now I look at like, what's the situation now portal transfer in transfer out. Um, I think it's harder to get people to commit to some of the things at like the organic grassroots level that Huggins wants like defense and rebounding and, and post play. So how does he supplement that? I don't know. So that's also concerning because I think it's easier to fix it by saying, we're going to press and we're going to do some of the things that, you know, work in his past. I don't know if the players are as accustomed to doing that nowadays. So how can he get that? How can he get whatever the press Virginia is for 2022, 23? I'm not saying they're going to press, but like, what's their label? What's their shtick for next season? I don't know what that is. I suspect it's going to be a lot of defense and, and people who maybe aren't gifted offensive players. are going to try hard and play hard and are not going to get pushed around. If they get pushed around, they're going to push back. But where are those people and who are they and how quickly can they, um, transition to this level of basketball and this type of head coach and this type of a situation that's going to require far less patience than productivity to get right again. Don't know. It's going to be a really interesting process. I think my initial stance on, on the state of the program is that this is like you know, temporary. I believe it is. I believe that that's, that's yes. my first thought, but I do have a, a, a fear, a, a fear of what might happen. And it is if it, cause right now I believe this was, you lost two great players and you brought and you just whiffed on the guys you brought in to replace them. That's kind of just what it is. And and the pieces didn't fit. It didn't happen. That's it. That's that's where I stand now. Now, in a couple of years, I may change my mind. Uh, you guys know I'm a, a very good flip flopper. So just wait for it. But the reason I'm a little concerned and my fear and why I might change my mind in a couple of years is if. There's this this chance. There is a chance that Huggins keeps hanging on and holding on 
with this job, but also maintaining the stance of I'm not recruiting transfers, even though he does, but not going to go to the transfer portal, not going to hit the transfer portal like everybody else. And I'm not going to recruit these McDonald's All-Americans because they don't have the right attitude. And if you go, if you try to continue with that mindset of I'm not going to recruit the best high school players and I'm not going to recruit transfers, and you keep doing that for a few years, it's it's going to be hard to maintain a successful basketball program. That is, you are cutting yourself out of two of the largest talent pools available in college basketball. You can't do that. You're doing it yourself. And so I think that's my concern is that, you know, say Huggins decides he's going to stick on for five more years and he goes five more years of not recruiting refusing to recruit, you know, let's call it, keep calling McDonald's like Oscar types and refuses to, uh, you know, really truly hit the transfer portal hard. Again, I don't know how much I believe that he's not hitting the transfer portal because he did add transfers, obviously. But if you do that for a few years, I, I, I feel like with the way back, the bas- basketball, college basketball, college sports, college athletics as a whole is going one direction. And that is transfers, transfers, transfers. You, you're going to build your program like an NFL team through free agency, essentially, every offseason. And if you skip out on that, you might go the wrong way. I want to just say, because I didn't say the words, uh, I think he's going to get it turned around. I don't know how long it'll take. I don't yeah. know how dramatic it'll be. But I, I just do think that um, what's what's fascinating to me is I think we can all agree whether you argue with this stance you admire this stance but he's a pretty obstinate individual um but successful too and the fact that you tell him hey you can't win with high school recruits and you have to use the portal i can see that guy being like screw you i'm bringing in five high school kids i'm not getting any transfers right yeah. just because you tell him he can't do things and like you can't play with two bigs you can't use back to the basket players maybe maybe you can and again there's a zag somewhere to be successful and you can do that so could he could he be like that I'm curious. I think he's kind of left the breadcrumbs for what he's going to do. I just wonder how much experiences in in the short term affect him in the long term. Example, Sheboy, the, the milk went bad there. But does that mean that all your experiences with McDonald's All-Americans or, or highly touted recruits who may have some 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 baggage in the form of handlers or people in their ear, does that mean it's not worth it? And maybe you went over three or one for three on transfers this year. Does that mean it's not worth it? I don't know, but I do think if you if you paid attention this year, I think he's going to be far more likely to use junior college players or to target them or covet them. And I think he's going to be very reserved about an enthusiasm for postgraduate players or like the the guys who just had that one year left. I don't I just think that the reward for that is two thirds in the season, maybe before it really clicks. And you spent that that whole time trying to get to a spot and then it's over before you really get to read the rewards. But if you could get two years out of a guy, that might be good. So when I think he says portal guys, I think he's talking those one-off players. I think he'd much rather have people for two or three years, which, again, that's going to go to junior colleges because that's taking a hit. Like, guys aren't getting recruited out of junior college at the same veracity as they were before because of the portal. But also, like, I wonder, too, what effect that has on what you might call teal chip, Chris. Mm-hmm. Like, how many of those good high school recruits are going to be there because the portal is so big now? And because the competition for those elite high school recruits is so great now that perhaps there's a lot more available in that that second cut, a really good quality 
but maybe not as coveted anymore because people who might go in there and get them, they're going to go to the portal instead. That might be something that could rejuvenate the high school recruiting there, but you got to attack and you got to do it right. That leads us right into the next question from Timber Pimp. Other than immediate playing time, what would attract a top portal addition to WVU coming from another Power 5 program? Uh, I'm, I guess he didn't actually specify. I guess that could be football as well. So let's stick with basketball right now, though. What, what's the pitch? If you're Bob Huggins talking to, say, a Remy Martin type, uh, although Martin hasn't exactly lived up the hype, so maybe that's, I mean, he's been injured, but maybe that's a bad example. But you're making a pitch to a guy like that as Bob Huggins. What are you pitching? Oh, the travel's awesome. <laughs> right? Probably yeah. should put a can on that or a lid on that can right now, too. If you're getting guys from group of five, they're going to walk in and they're going to see the practice facility. They're going to see the Coliseum. And then you're going to show them a picture of your private jet. And you're going to tell them about that. And they're going to be like, whoa. And then you show them all the Jumpman stuff or the Nike stuff. And they're going to think, whoa, it's not going to be difficult. It's just not. And if you can say you're going to start, you're going to get playing time, and you're going to play – Every year you're going to play a game at Kansas and we're going to play a big invitational game against the SEC in the Big East. It's not hard. That's not hard. And by the way, Hall of Fame coach here, 900-something wins. We're in the NCAA tournament. You know, what? I don't know. You're going to be here for three years. We're going to make it maybe three times. Definitely two. So there's, there's, I don't think that's difficult, too. And you can also say at this point now, too, hey, we need guys like you because this did not go this year. We made a mistake in – our calculations or our recruiting before, but we're determined to get it right. And what we have determined is that you're the right person. I just don't think it's difficult. I think you could tell kids a lot of that stuff too. Number one, number two, kids do the research. They just do. Um, they might not know what the jet looks like or what the practice facility looks like, but they know who has what. And they, they all have friends from AAU or from playing against them in college or conference or in high school or whatever, and they, they can stay in touch and they can they can communicate amongst themselves. So if you have good ambassadors and former players, that should be good too. And I think a lot of people – you haven't seen a whole lot of people stomp off mad from West Virginia. They haven't played very well and they've had to go somewhere else. But And, and Shiba is an exception, obviously. But you, you see a lot of people who, who come back or who still have fond feelings of the program. So that can help, too. Football, kind of different. I mean, I, I would plug in a lot of the same things from, from Group of Five to Power Five. The problem is, do you want, do you get Power Five if you're Bob Huggins? Do you, are you going to get, I don't know you're, I don't know if he's going to gun for a Remy Martin. I don't know if he's going to gun for a com, uh, major conference player of the year, a major conference first team all-league player. I don't know. And then what can you tell, what can you tell someone from Arizona State or from Utah or from wherever, like some of these guys that you mentioned? What can you tell them about WVU that's different? What can you tell them about the Big 12 that's different than the Pac-5? You can say, hey, Huggins has this this odd routine about the most draft picks, the most number one picks, and all that stuff. You're going to play a high level of competition. That's cool, but like if you're coming from a Power 5, you've played a high level of competition, and, and you've tried to prove yourself at such a level that you've got a taste of it, and you probably have an idea of whether or not you will measure up. That's a challenge. I think it's far more easier to get people from the group of five to the power of five and impress them. But the difference may very well be how do you get group of five, power of five guys to transfer from one conference to the Big 12? And that one I don't have quite as easy as fix for because you can't you can't massage those same variables that are bound to impress somebody who does not have those luxuries right now. Someone who's had those luxuries for two, three, four years. I don't know, Chris, what do you think? How do you how do you press their buttons to make them go? Yes, West Virginia. Yes. It's going to be difficult because the biggest pitch I think West Virginia has right now, I mean, you got a Hall of Fame coach, um, but when you're talking about transfers, these transfers are typically looking for someplace that's going to prepare them for the NBA. Um, mm -hmm. 
Bob Huggins has had a ton of success as a college coach. He, nor West Virginia, has routinely produced a ton of NBA talent in recent years. Um, so that that's not going to be part of your pitch. It's just not. I mean, you can point to Javon Carter, but, uh, hey, look, we got a, a backup point guard that's on his, you know, he's making millions of dollars. So that's a big positive. But that's that's it, basically. Um, and then the other part of it is the other big part of the pitch that you would normally make if you were recruiting for West Virginia is look at these facilities because I, I can't hammer the point home enough that West Virginia's facilities, football and basketball and starting moving to other athletics as well, are among the nation's best. It was not that long ago that they were among the worst. I, I mean, you, you've seen more of the Big 12 facilities than I have mm. um, for other teams, but I feel like West Virginia was towards the bottom as recently as five, ten years ago, and now they're probably towards the top for basketball and football, at least. I mean, I know they were in consideration when our network was putting together the top 25 facilities in the entire country. That's where West Virginia is. Problem is, is that what transfers care about? No, that's what high school kids care about. High school kids are going to care about that. But some transfer that's going to come in for like six months and then go off to the NBA, hopefully, like that that's going to be a hard pitch right there. So I think it's going to be difficult. I think you're right in that he has a much better chance of getting guys from the group of five. If you're going to pick on a power five program, it might be the Pac-12. I mean, I know our, our West Coast friends don't like to hear it, but their exposure in the West on the West Coast is just not what it is if he were in the Big 12, if he were in the ACC, SEC, you know, just on the East Coast, in Central Time Zone at least, something, and playing against the Big 12, which is currently the best conference in uh, college basketball. So you're going to have a hard time getting other Power Fives. If you are, you might be picking on the Pac-12, but far more likely you're going to be going Group of Five. Yeah, one thing we didn't say that I think a lot of people are listening to this are saying, well, you haven't said these three letters here, N-I-L. Mm-hmm. I don't know how applicable that is. I just don't know because, again, if you get somebody who's a really good, uh, I don't know, let's just say colonial player, right? Does anybody know who he is? Right. I just don't know that that's going to come in. Like That, that person's going to get a ton of money right away. Is Tupin Ford throwing a, a check at him? Is Chris Anderson throwing a check at him? I don't know. Maybe you probably would, Chris, because you you know all these guys. But I, that's that's not a lure, I don't think. And you might say, well, they got so many players who made so many dollars from so many different entities in town. Yeah, but like Taz Sherman, Sean McNeil, Jalen Bridges are not guys who just showed up on day one and got opportunities on day two. So I don't know that how much you can flex that. So this whole thing about go out and use your NIL weaponry. Well, what is it and and how? That's that's a tough thing too. And maybe they're looking for it, but if they're looking for it, they're going to be picky about it and. Not, I'm not quite sure that exists in in, in such obvious um, quantity and quality right now that it's gonna it's gonna lure people. Maybe in time we'll see, but I don't think that's a fix right now. Uh, again, related JAL one two three four. I'm gonna summarize this question here, uh, but essentially a lot of talk about McBride and Culver leaving. But what if, and we kind of assume those guys are gone. So what if McCabe and Matthews stayed? which means no Curry and no King for West Virginia. If Matthews and McCabe stayed, is West Virginia's record better than it is right now? They're not worse. They're absolutely not worse. They're better. Right. I got uh, People are not going to want to hear me say this, but like they're better. They're definitely not worse. You're not worse with those two on the team. 
And I'm not even going to say they have the same record. I'm going to say they're better. I don't believe that they lose seven in a row, win a game, and lose six in a row. I think that they find a way to close out some of these games. Um, I just I just think they they do. I think they're older in some spots. They're they're getting away from bad minutes from some people. You may not get great minutes in Matthews and, and McKay, but you're going to get like veteran, productive, experience-based minutes, whereas they have struggled sometimes this year because you've seen guys who maybe were a little bit hesitant or not prepared, weren't strong enough, didn't know what to do or how to react. I just, I just, it's not even an argument in my head. And like, I don't, people aren't going to agree. And that, that's fine. I get it. Those two were not all conference, never mind all star players. But they're missed. I just think they're missed. I think there's like collectiveness of this team. Like those, those were two really popular guys who could glue things together. And this team is such that with what seven first year players. They needed something like the one thing I haven't heard a ton this year that I heard a ton the past couple of years is got great guys. They're always together. They're always, you know, you never find them by themselves. There's always three or four of them. They're getting a pizza. They're ever playing video games. It's all of them together. Haven't heard a ton of that. And that's not to say these are bad guys. They don't like each other, but like they were inseparable before. And I think that kind of propelled them from things from from the depths of a what 15 and 21 season. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they were freshmen to really on a roll before the COVID season and then a good team last year, like that spent a lot of the season ranked. And again, you're saying, well, those two weren't great. They were part of it. They were part of it. And then I just, I just think you look at the, the point guard play this year. I I think McCabe helps. Matthews is interesting. He's, he's essentially, you're right. Statistically, he's not as good even as, as bridges, but I just like to have that other guy there because maybe you don't have to play bridges so much as the four. When I mean, he's played a lot of minutes at the four, he's not been as good. Um, he struggled to get a shot off or to be competitive inside. If he's playing three, he's better cast as a three. Matthews could play the four, did play the four. He was okay with that. I, I think that helps Bridges a lot this year. Maybe that doesn't maybe maybe Matthews doesn't make a leap and become a great player, but I think that he lets Bridges do more of what he's probably more comfortable and and more capable of doing. Both of those guys are okay, three point shooters. Both of those guys, again, like you said, veteran guys that know the program, like each other, would have helped this this team kind of come together a little more. Um, I think Matthews, you get you get Spanish Emmett Matthews at least a couple times a, a, of the season, and you get a couple more wins just from him alone. Point guard Billy, I've come a lot, I've come around on Malik Curry the last two games just because mm-hmm. not just because he's producing, but because of his attitude, like. His aggressiveness going towards the hoop is 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 amazing the last two games. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that he's had about 10 games where he has not only been a non-factor, but a, a very large net negative. Um, and I think with McCabe, you get a little more of a steady hand at that point guard position. Now, is he going to go out there and put up 20 points, dish out 10 assists? maybe once or two, maybe a couple of times during the year. Uh, I mean, we, you saw it. He he had some big games. That was that freshman year, right? When they went 15 to 21, where they just said, screw it. And yep. he got to uh, let, let Jordan McCabe cook, if you will. Um, I don't know if it would have been to that point. And we saw, he kind of has a quick hook with Huggins, but I think he would have been a little more of a steadying hand with no McBride as an option. No other older guys as an option there at, at point guard. So I'm with you. I think this this team would be better with those two still on the team. Yeah, Matthew's gotten a good role when when Washington was playing pretty well. They've kind of come back to earth a little bit, and so has he. But he still kind of is what he is. He's got better numbers, but he's playing more too. Um, this is a hard challenge for you, but if you get a chance, watch UNLV. 
they're fun. They run, they shoot, they play like quick. And McCabe, McCabe does not have outstanding stats of 6.8 points, 4.9 assists, but he controls things. Again, shooting 40% from the floor, 40% from the floor, uh, 32 from three-point range, but he just has things together. He's playing over 30 minutes a game. I think he's one of the uh, number two on the team, but he plays a lot. They play well with him, and there's his plus-minus and their wins is very good. Um, when they're going well, the way they're supposed to play, he he's a he's the conductor. He keeps things in order. Now, is that easier for him at that level? Of course, he couldn't do that here, but that that's in him somewhere that they they just miss that rudder a lot of times on offense. Someone who will pass it and who can make good passes. Um, I just I just think that's missed this year. Two more quick ones on basketball. Uh, Timber Pimp asks: When Huggins retires, does he have any input or sway on who WVU hires to replace him? Yeah. In that you ask a coach who has, you know, I don't know, maybe at that time close to a thousand wins. What do you think? Do you like this guy? Do you have any recommendations? Um, I don't think he's making the phone calls and inviting people in. I don't think he picks somebody because what's his tree look like? What's his coaching tree look like? Really? Not a lot of branches. Yeah. And are, are we, are you, are we saying that like you're going to put Darius Nichols in? Are you going to pull Joe Missoula from the NBA? And Joe said, often that he's very happy in the NBA and he wants to be an NBA head coach and then stick to that. I mean, that's, that's tough. And then how many other former players are out there coaching that are like legitimate options at this point? I don't, I don't know that he would have a lot of that's not going to be Harrison or Martin or Everhart. So I don't know, Jared Calhoun, you know, Andy Kennedy, like, or like you get what I'm saying here. There's not a whole lot that he could have input on. I'm sure that when lions and whomever is involved in this search, has some ideas that you say, hey, this is what we're thinking of. Because one thing that Huggins is very, very passionate about is is how the university is represented relative to his position. And that means, you know, raising money for cancer. That means going to road games to to visit places for his players. That means, you know, losing season and how do you react? Like all that stuff I think that is important to him. I think that includes like, who takes the baton from him and continues that on. And if he knows a person and knows that, hey, they're going to go to New York and play, or they're going to go to Ohio and play games, and they're going to visit some of these smaller campuses to help out, you know, friends of the program of ours. And by the way, they're going to play hard. They're going to defend and rebound, and they're going to do a lot of the stuff that I left my fingerprints on. That'll be important, I think, to someone like Lyons as it is to Huggins. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Quick one from Lighten. Rank these players, Daxter Miles, Tariq Phillips, Jason Page, Taz Sherman. Uh, I would flip Sherman and Page, and that's it. I would go Miles, Phillip, Sherman, Page. Oh, man. I was worried we were going to have the same. I think there's a little bit of different criteria about what what's what, depending. I'd rank them slightly different. I would have Page up some. Okay, you have. I really one. like him as far as like, if you're asking me if I was putting a team together, which of those four? I, I don't know if I have him ahead of Dax. Uh, I mean, I got I got Dax or Miles pretty high on my list here, 
but I might be going Daxter Miles, Jason Page, uh, Taz, or oof, Taz and Tariq Phillip. And then Phillip will be your last pick if you had one spot left on a team. If right. I had one spot left on my team and I had to pick one of these four, I, it might actually, Jay Sean Page might be my first pick. I think, wow. I think Tariq Phillip might be ahead of Taz. Yeah. I would, like, if you're asking me to rank those four, I would go Dax, Tariq, Taz, Page. And Taz and Page are interesting. Like, they're very similar players. Yeah. Except one's more of a one than a two. One's more of a two than a one. But, like, I honestly didn't think Page is going to be back for his second year. And I think Huggins would candidly tell you the same thing, that that was a guy who, whose attitude was not in the right spot. But sit down, long talk, got through to him, and he became a, a very productive scorer. But, man, everything that Phil, that Dax did for so long and, and what Phillips did just as a winner and how he made lineups better, that's that's hard for me to not create a separation for those two from the other two. Ooh, I don't know. You're fraught. Yeah, this is tough because, I I mean, if you're at, again, if it's one, pick the one player, because if you're talking about like contributions to West Virginia over time, I think it has to be Dax no matter Mm -hmm. what, Uh, obviously giving four years for him. But picking, we got one spot left on the roster, can only take one player. Well, even then, are we talking for a season or for a game or for a tournament or what? Does a chance? All right, let's say a season or the Big Twelve tournament. Philip would be my guy for the Big Twelve tournament. Okay, just a competitor, a winner. I saw that guy flip games so many times. I saw him win games because um, he was relentless. So if I if I had like a do or die, a single game for all the marbles or a tournament, that would be my pick there. Like, going, I think we forget how, how competitive and how effective he was. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm going Jason Page. And then for the year, I think I'm going Dax Miles. Mm-hmm. I would go with that, too. Oof. All right. Um, football? Sure. Are you, are you ready for football? Yeah, I am. I, 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 I th- time to clean the plate and put something back on. But, uh, I think we might have been too ready for football. Because I think I said on <laughs> here that, that spring practice was starting... Uh, in the next week or so, um, and for those li- ne- that didn't read the board, I, I corrected that uh, for the last, I don't know, I've been doing this 11 years, 12 years now, um, last 12 years, I think the spring break or spring football has started before spring break. They've done a pra- like three practices or six practices and then gone on spring break and then come back and finished it. Not this time. This time waiting until after spring break, starting spring football, and going right up until um, spring game. First off, do you like that better? I never understood that because Holgerson did the same thing. Like They would would practice three times, go on spring break, and come back, and he was always like, well, they'll they'll come back refreshed and ready to go. That first week is kind of boring. Um, Second week, you know, whatever, first couple days to get the the toxins out of their system, right? Right. But like I'm like, why would you want to get guys some momentum and cut it loose? I never got that. But like the the argument always is made that first week's monotonous. You know, go in, go away, come back. You know, excited about it, attacking ambitiously. Oh, okay, fine. But I, I just yeah. like having people in the camp situation again from from A to B without interruption. But I mean, heck, the other thing is like secretly players will just tell you like, man, spring football? Are you kidding me? Um, right. The shorter you can make it, the better. 
I'm with you on this. I, I never understood it either. I don't, I, I did not get it at all. I think it's much better idea. And I don't know if they're doing this the week before spring break, but maybe try to get it so that, because you go through winter workouts. If somebody on, you know, a few people on our board, oh man, five straight weeks of spring practice. Ugh. And I'm like, it's spring practice ain't that hard. You know, it's, it's three days a week. And I mean, I know they do stuff that are not on those three days, but it's, it's not like fall camp. It's not like winter workouts. Um, these workouts that they're doing are, are tough. This is when you make your body better. This is when you're uh, running up and down law school Hill and throwing up into trash cans. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like the, if I were able to plan it out and maybe this is exactly what they're doing, I'm not sure is I would have it so that winter workouts ended a week before spring break. Um, and then they get a week of kind of being on campus and doing schoolwork, focusing on that, being done with winter workouts. Then you got spring break. And I, I say give them that week off before spring break because assuming practice starts when I think it is, which is going to be the Sunday at the end of spring break or the following Monday, maybe mm-hmm. that's pretty tough. And, and, you can't just like come back from spring break on Sunday at noon and then go to practice. It, they're going to have to come back on Thursday or Friday. So you're going to be cutting their spring break short a couple of days, most likely. So I say give them off that week before spring break and then they go enjoy spring break for a few days, come back. And then, yeah, five straight weeks. Let's get it over with. And yeah, no sense. And I never understood the three day, three practices on take a week off and then come back. That never understood that. I'll tell Neil that you approve. All right, good. Well, maybe you will. Maybe you won't. It depends because that's related to this next question from Jackson97. What kind of access will the press have during spring practice? Will you be able to watch the QB battle with your own eyes? Mike, are we trending the right direction or the wrong direction this year, you think? I have no idea. I haven't seen a schedule. We don't even have an official start date, correct? Correct. I have not been given one, no. So I don't know. I would say that you're you can probably expect to have the first practice completely open. Probably a oh, this is open for the media, but it's actually open for the public sometime like on a Saturday, I'm sure. And then I would say beyond that, probably once a week, maybe twice that 15 minutes of stretching and and punts and kickoffs. And then the spring game, that would be my guess, That's because that's the pattern from the past. They just it's so much around. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I mean, that we'll be able to what they tell you is what you're going to have to use for information. Like we're just not going to get to see live reps from the quarterbacks and all that stuff. I'd be very, very surprised. So again, I would imagine like if the first one will be open, maybe like the first Saturday will be open for the fans to come in. And then after that 15 minutes, once or twice a week in the spring game. I think it was right. I think it was right before Neil got here, but I went back, checked all the old, um, emails we had gotten with the spring football schedules and tracked it for each year and kept it up for a while. I need to go see if I can find that, that article. I, Cause I wrote an article about, it, I put it up on the site and it had been trending in the wrong direction. And this wasn't a, when, when Neil Brown arrived, it went South. It, it was trending this way under Dana as well, but it was something like, I think in the early years we had access to all 15 practices and and for not the whole practices, but for a chunk of them, and then it was ten, then it was eight, then it was seven, then it was five, and kind of it just kept kept going down. And and like you said, now it's maybe it's more individual like 
availabilities, but they're 15 minutes. Um, so yeah, it's getting less and less over time, but I, hopefully we get to see something here. I think it's, it's an opportunity for the school to kind of sell the program if they keep that open a, a little more than usual. You can have one of these two things, Chris. Ready? Uh-huh. Expanded access. I would say beyond reasonable, but not unreasonable. So maybe something like you talked about, the whole halcyon days of every time there's a practice, there's availability to go watch. Maybe it's yeah. something like that. But certainly more than what I laid out, right? And right. let's not even say let's not even say in the middle between what you explained and what I said. Let's say more toward you. So you can have beyond reasonable, but not unreasonable access as a person covering practice. Or you can ask for players that you can talk to in a group setting or an individual setting instead of behind the dang podium after practice. Mm. Mm. It's, it's a no contest for me. Yeah, I know you're picking the second one. Yeah, because I can I can do the work and make the phone calls and have the text exchanges about what's going on in practice, right? Yeah. I just want to talk to people that interest me and interest the people who subscribe to or otherwise read our stuff. I don't want to be spoon-fed a player or or a coach or something like that. And the coaches are great if provided we're allowed to talk to them, but like here's a quarterback, here's a offensive lineman, here's a defense like here's two players because it's the offense day, here's two players because it's the defense day. I don't want that. I'd much rather have access to the players. No, I mean I I agree with you there on that part because in those group settings where they're behind the podium or not group settings, but uh, for those that don't know there there was once upon a time where they would send what would you say, like four people into the to the team meeting room and then all the media scrambled and you would end up oftentimes with four or five guys talking to one player or one coach and then eventually it would kind of whittle down to you could almost have, you could have a one-on-one with, with a coach or a player if, if they stayed long enough. Um, now they just sit behind the podium and all 20-some people scream questions at them. It's recorded and every question and every answer is, is piped out to everybody. I think... In that world, in the world that we're currently in, it kind of takes away from people who are good at your jobs, like you, Michael, because mm. uh, you're going to ask the good questions, and then the people that aren't going to ask the good questions just sit there and kind of ride ride your coattails, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I could see why you would want to do that. I, and I'm thinking that's probably where I'd lean as well, because I think that would help as far as, you know, our psychos. That would help, you know, differentiate the product there. Um, but, man, to have unfiltered look at practice where I could make, you know, opinions, thoughts, observations with my own eyes instead of relying on coach speak, player speak, or even a source of a source, you know, telling telling you what's going on. I man, that that could be helpful. I feel mm. I feel like when I see recruits see basketball team, see the football team, see when, when you see it with your own eyes in practice and the lead up to the season, or you see those recruits at camp, that's what I feel like you get the most accurate understanding of the team and you can, and you can really figure out what's going on. So it, it's hard for me to want to pass up that, but I, I guess I have to, I guess I have to, because to be able to ask your own questions and have your own content is big. And I don't think you could pass that up either. Mm. 
Mm, I'll, I'll tell you this when we're done. <laughs> I don't want to share it over here. Okay. I, just had, I just had a thought. I'm actually even just take this out because I know the answer to this question. I can explain it to you why, but we're not going to have expanded access, and I, I have a good explanation. But oh, that's God. for your ears. My bad. Sorry about the aim errors and me. That's my fault. I'm probably going to edit this part out. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Please do. I don't know. Um, you can tell me afterwards, and we'll figure out if you got to edit that. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's see. Who who can we piss off next? Um, well, what? Why would you assume that I've made anybody <laughs> mad? Um, let's see. Oh, these these are some tough ones here from twenty one forty six years. So maybe maybe this will make people upset. But uh, first, I want to defend ourselves because he starts off by saying we're entering season four of the head coach Neil Brown era, and there's year zero talk coupled with the COVID year that seemed like an excuse for failure. I'd like to first point out that Mike, on this very podcast and on our site, a hundred times fought the cut out the year zero BS talk. Now, you you were so anti year zero talk. Um, well, with a with a caveat though. Well, it, that was yeah, but then the, before some of the things happened, you were anti year zero. Mm-hmm. Um. And then COVID, I mean, everybody had to deal with COVID, but I, and I think that was their best year. Gone, yeah. And, and I think I said, you know, this is year four. And I've said any problems that are here now are Neil Brown problems because it is year four. There is. So I don't know if 2146 year is accusing us of being those people that are making excuses, but I don't feel like we are. I do think there is a little bit to the year zero, but it is year four now. And, and, Anything that happens now, I've said it before, for good, for better or worse, anything that happens is Neil, Neil Brown deserves credit or blame, one of the two, whichever way it goes, um, because he, he is very, very much involved with everything that happens, and it is year four now. So mm-hmm. uh, first, a little defense of ourselves, but uh, he's got a multi-part question. First, is the football program in better shape to compete today than it was after the bowl loss to Miami a few years back? Yeah, because that that was that team was losing a ton of talent and was going to rely on transfers and freshmen in a volume that I don't think Holgerson had relied upon before, and you don't have that now. So I think that's a yes. So I'm wondering why we picked the Miami because I mean that after the Miami Bowl game that it that would be the Russell Athletic Bowl at the end of the 2016 season. No, Miami yeah. was Dana's last game. Right. Am I looking at this wrong? No. Is that right? Miami was Dana's last game, and it was in Orlando. No, right? no, no. Syracuse. Was it Syracuse? It's in Orlando, Camping World Stadium. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm mistaken there. Okay, that's my fault. Maybe we'll edit this part out, too. <laughs> okay. So, so I, yeah, that... I'm not sure why why we picked the Miami, um, Miami game, because, yeah, that was after the 2016 season. I promise then, I course, did not write this question. Yeah, and then my burner. Uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously Will Greer took over starting quarterback after that. So that's kind of a, uh, yeah, things were looking good there because he was already around. I don't know. He was yeah, already around. Then, so. then I changed my answer completely then because the program was on the way up at that point. Yeah, but after 2018, when Dana was decided to leave, this program was losing. I, I th- yeah, God, I, I should just keep these numbers on a notepad somewhere. 
But we did the scholarship count, and it was literally Dana left, and the number was around 50 scholarship players when Neil Brown took over the roster. And of the players that left, it was, you know, we're talking Will Greer. Um, who else was it? Because that was, I think that was the year that, um, like, David Long left. Who? Because that, that was a ton of seniors leaving, guys that ended up in the NFL, playing in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Will Greer, Yadni Kajust. Gary Jennings, Trayvon Wesco, David Long. That's five NFL players gone from the team, along with a handful of other seniors, and leaving the roster with around 50-some scholarship players. So if the question is, is the team better after the 2016 season? Not sure about that, because they had a bunch of guys coming in, a bunch of young talent that was getting more experience. If you're asking if it's better after when Dana decided to leave, my answer is yes. Yes, I would agree. Okay. Yeah. Sorry the, for... the Miami thing totally flipped me off guard there yeah. because I assumed he was talking about upon the coaching transition. Right. Same here. But that's why I was a little confused too. Um, what does this team need to do this year to show that the hiring of Brown was a smart decision? Uh, I'll, I'll follow with, can we make that decision off of or make that call off of this year? I was, by the way, I just want to rewind. Um I was told, eh, good source. Brown took over 64 scholarship players. 64? Yeah. So still 20 away, 21 away. Not did that, now, did that include the incoming players? I believe on scholarship when he okay. took over. Okay. So, yeah, I would imagine that's probably incoming players too, right? Yeah. So that recruiting class that signed in December that he kept together. Right. Or that I guess was going to come in February too. So. Right. When he arrived, he had 64, which again, that's, it's not, honestly, the difference between like high 50s and low 60s is not very much. And you get down that far, the difference between, it's certainly a greater difference between 64 and 85. Anyways, uh, they need to win games like in the fourth quarter consistently because they're good enough to, to hang with you in the first half. And again, just pull the string here in my back. They're the hallmark so far. Brown's team is that they're competitive. They don't go away. It's hard to blow them out. Opponents really talk about how hard they play and how hard they make you play because they're they're at a talent deficit or an explosivity deficit. Their offense isn't as good, but frequently these games are close. Um, there's outliers for sure. And there were a couple this past year that were discouraging, but like, you know, maybe they should be blowing out Kansas, but maybe Kansas is coming back quicker than West Virginia is advancing late in a, in a kind of a dull in season, whatever. But you kind of get the idea that they do play hard, but they hang around in games the first half, third quarter, and it kind of, whether it's one play, one series, one critical sequence, it doesn't work out enough for them. So if they can be older and more savvy, be better managed or have better execution, they win those games that that frankly differentiate you between six and six and eight and four. Because whether you follow it up close or from afar, if you're standing two feet away or 200 feet away, you can look at the, the results and say, and they were in that game, weren't they? And yeah, they were, you know. I don't know that it's ever a difference of one or two plays here for in a game or a season, but I think you could you could have a pretty productive conversation evaluation and say had a couple of things gone better for them in key spots, they have I don't know one two three more wins last season and maybe even seasons before that. Um, not so sure Brown's first season or second season, but certainly last year they were in game. So if they had to pick one thing, win the games that are our 50 fifties that have not been 50 fifties, or maybe they have been, but you want them to be 70 30s. So 
really find a way to to create the difference that you've so far lacked. I'm with you. I think the the wins and losses obviously are most important, but I I will be paying attention to the how and and all the things you mentioned there about winning games in the fourth quarter, making changes, making adjustments, um, making it so that you and I aren't having the same conversation after every every WV football game in the fall. Um, that would help me change my mind on that. Um, that would be good. Uh, Third question here, 2146 here. If the record stinks and the offense explodes, is Graham Harrell head coach in 2023? This, does this scenario sound familiar to you, Michael? Can you imagine that? <laughs> no. Unless he's the interim coach during the 2023 season. Yeah. Uh, no, because that would mean that he, honestly, that would I would presume that he didn't do his job if things fall apart and Neil Brown's not there after 22 or sometime within 2023 i can't see a scenario in which he's the head coach and even honestly i would imagine that like i mean matt moore might be your interim coach before only because the whole like offensive coordinator defensive coordinator thing and you got things going on i would imagine that he, like harold wouldn't even be the head coach above someone else on the on the staff if it was interim capacity I, so my answer's no altogether i'm with you that would be wild and, and i would be absolutely stunned if it was the defense's fault, if West Virginia falters this year, yeah. I'd be stunned. Um, all right. Uh, looks like you want to end it with a realignment question? Yes. Okay. I know it's your favorite topic. No, God. Um, do you think this is from Jake Kelch near? Uh, do you think that the 2022 23 season will be the last that Texas and Oklahoma play football in the Big 12? Follow up. Do you think there will be any other Power Five level conference realignment before the next playoff contract, which is 2026, right? I think that last part's really interesting because I always cons- concerned about. It used to be the ACC, but definitely the Big Ten now. Um, kind of letting everybody think that the cards that are on the table are the only cards that can be played, or that that maybe the music has stopped, and then all of a sudden, ping, they do something, and. When there's when there's a static moment like this, people lower their guards, and that's when you can get pilfered and poached. So that would concern me. I don't think you're going to see any more because I think it's so hard to get out of contracts. It, it's just so hard. But I look at like different sovereign immunity claims and lawsuits and injunctions, stuff like that 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 schools are are throwing out there right now. And I know that they're like Group of Five programs, and it's Conference USA and the Sun Belt. There's no way that people inside the power five conferences aren't watching this going, Hmm, there's a collective chin stroking going on trying to figure out if this is something they can learn from and perhaps at you. So I don't think that you're going to see any more between now and then only because the then that we're talking about is, is relatively close at this point. I also happen to think that there is a great want to get Texas and Oklahoma out just to get it out. It's a bad thing to play with them in your conference, especially if they're winning championships or competing for championships. And if Oklahoma will be in for three more seasons, is that correct? Mm-hmm. They're going to play for the conference championship probably three times and probably win it two or three times, right? That would be awful. And then they go into the SEC penalty-free. You can you can get something out of this if you want to, so I don't know why you just don't cut them loose because you're going to have your, your 14 teams uh, that come in. You, when you have uh, the four that arrive, you kind of supplemented your losses there. Just just move on. And here's the other thing, too. 
if you're a UCF and, and Cincinnati and BYU and Houston, do you want to play in a Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas? Think about that for a second. Easier to win with them out of the way, I would think. So if you can clear the deck, great. However, I've been told that a scenario in which there are 14 teams and they split into divisions, whether that's for just like one season or however many seasons that would continue to feature Texas and Oklahoma, who are definitely leaving. They're going to put Texas and Oklahoma in the same division just so that they cannot play for the conference championship. They're cutting there in half go. the likelihood. They're cutting in half the likelihood that they win the conference championship. So that makes me think that the league is open to the possibility they're there. I don't think they want that, but I've heard that if they're going to have divisions, they're telling everybody, you two are absolutely in the same division. You're not playing for a football championship against one another. You're going to have to knock one or the other out, and at best, a 50% chance of you guys winning the Big 12, which is a smart thing. But if you're Texas, you might also, or Oklahoma at that point, you might also say, let's just expedite our exit here. How do we do this? What's the, what's the check? What's the, what's the number look like? How do we do this? And, and you get out of there as best as you can. Now, can you negotiate that with non-conference games? Like, all right, instead of uh, X dollars, we'll continue to schedule Oklahoma State in football, and we'll continue to schedule TCU in football, like Texas TCU and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Can they do stuff like that? I don't know. That might sweeten the pot, but I just think that that's all part of negotiation after the principal agreement of let's get this done, let's break up, split up, let's figure out who gets what in this divorce, and, and we'll get out of here after that conclusion. Uh, smart move to put Texas and Oklahoma in the same division. Uh, petty move, but smart move, and I like it. Synonyms, um, Chris. Those are synonyms. <laughs> but I, uh, I'm in agreement with you. I think I think the Big 12 is going to make this as uncomfortable as possible for Oklahoma and Texas, and Oklahoma and Texas are going to eventually just try to just get it over with. Both parties are going to agree that it's best if it just uh, a quick split. Uh, I think it's all good. Like it always does, it's going to come down to money. Uh, how much is is Oklahoma and Texas going to pay to leave early? Um, and and I think it might take some time to come to an agreement on that number. I was when the news came down, I assumed they might even be out before this coming season, before mm-hmm. the twenty twenty two season. Uh, obviously, that's not happening at this point. But I think you know you'll see some some talks intensify over the summer as conference commissioners and, and or athletic directors, school athletic directors and everybody get together and start talking more that they'll work some kind of number out, probably get announced early in the season. And it'll be the last year for Oklahoma and Texas in the big 12. And I'd be okay with that. So would I. And so would basically everybody in the big 12. Yeah, that works for me. All right, that was it that I had. Uh, Mike, did you see any others that you desperately wanted to answer right now? Anything else that uh, could make some people angry? No, we we ran the gauntlet here, and I tried to keep my uh, incendiary words and takes out of the equation as best I could. Sometimes I can't help myself, though, I guess. Are we going to edit out some of these parts? That's up to you. You're the editor. All right, sounds good. (laughs) Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.